The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by the Reverend Dr. Craig Troxell. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. Hello again and welcome to our chapel service where we are continuing our series in 1 Corinthians 13. And today we will be looking at verse 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6, where with respect to love, it says this, it does not insist on its own way. I'm sorry, verse 6, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Again, verse 6, that love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, again, we come to learn of you, to learn of the heart of God. What does it mean to love? Scripture tells us that God is love. And so we are right to turn to you. And here you tell us what love is not and and what it is. And so, Father, we pray that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit from this word of truth, and that you would teach us not only that we would better understand, but that we would better obey. Continue, Father, uh, to cause us to be renewed in the image of God and cause us to continue to be conformed to Christ, both in his death and his resurrection. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In October of 1999, there was a football game taking place in Philadelphia between two arch rivals, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys. The wide receiver for the Dallas Cowboys, Michael Irvin, uh, their best wide receiver, went across the middle, was hit hard and laid out on the carpet of that football stadium. He did not move. He did not get up. And he could not. He had suffered a spinal injury. And in fact, it was injury that ended his career. Eventually, a gurney was brought out, and he was carefully placed upon that gurney and wheeled out. In most scenarios, the, the fans of the opposing team would, would politely, politely applaud uh, that the player was, was off the field, getting off the field. But this was Philadelphia, and the fans cheered and cheered uh, that he was getting off the field. In fact, they were cheering that he was in, injured. Now, my wife is a Philadelphia Eagles fan, and she was here. Perhaps she would tell you that Philadelphia Eagles fans are, are greatly misunderstood. And that could be, uh, but I think everybody there understood exactly what was happening. Those fans were taking delight in the fact that uh, one of the best athletes of the other team, their best receiver, was injured and would no longer be their nemesis. Now, we call this schadenfreude. It's a German word. It means malicious joy. It means to rejoice in someone else's failure. Uh, their misery, or their pain. And that is the exact opposite of love, as Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 13, that love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. The simple point being that love does not take secret pleasure in another person's misfortune, especially when evil visits them or their sin. Now, it's one thing to laugh at the Three Stooges or Laurel and Hardy or when Wildy Coyote suffers yet another misfortune at the hands of the Roadrunner. It's another thing to relish when someone else gets hurt. 
uh, to savor their downfall, their failure, or in their sin. And I say sin because that's sort of the point here when it says that love does not rejoice at unrighteousness. When something truly wrong takes place uh, with another person, whether it's suffering the consequences of their sin or as an innocent person suffering some sort of injustice or disaster. And so anytime we take pleasure in someone's downfall like that, this is not love. Uh, We think of you students. When you get your paper back and you got a B. You just happen to see your friend's paper and he got a C. And secretly, at some level, you take some kind of satisfaction in that. Or you look at another friend and he got an A. And secretly inside, you find it difficult to rejoice with them. Or in the business world, your competitor loses their, their best contract and you gloat over it. Or in this season of life, in re-election seasons, we read or we hear of a rumor about a politician that we dislike. And a part of us hopes that it is true. Or we think in scripture of Elkanah's wife, Penina, who had many children. And who would provoke Hannah, who was barren. And did so in order to just simply vex her and cause her to, to cry. Uh, this is exactly what our passage says love is not. This is a malicious joy that revels when tragedy strikes someone else. Somebody has said that this saying, God hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. Whether that's a sufficient theological maxim is, is one thing, but certainly we should not hate the sinner and love the sin. Even if our enemy suffers, Scripture tells us that we are not to, to laugh at their misfortune. That's exactly what the devil does, that he delights in others' misery. And so if the commandment says to love others as we love ourselves, love our neighbor as we love ourselves, then we should never wish upon another person what we would never wish upon ourselves. Think of ourselves. Uh, we do not rejoice when we do wrong, but we grieve over our sin. And so when other people fall to temptation or sin or experience injustice, we should not take any pleasure in their heartache in their adversity, or their pain, or their suffering. In fact, Scripture tells us that we are to do the opposite. If other people experience hard times or suffer from evil, then we are to sympathize with them. We mourn with those who mourn. We do not revel in their pain, and we rejoice with those who rejoice. We do not envy their success. Think of the prodigal son's older brother. He did not rejoice in his brother's return or his brother's repentance. It's almost as if he wished his brother had never come home. That is a twisted joy, and it will not bring the solace nor the satisfaction that it promises. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Love rejoices with the truth. He's saying here that we truly desire and hope for righteousness or for goodness to prevail. We are pleased when it does. We always want the truth to win, just as we want mercy and goodness and justice and kindness to win. So, for example, we're delighted when others are saved, when through faith in Christ they are freed from their sin and its condemnation and its reigning power. Just like the angels, we rejoice over one sinner who repents. Think of the example of Corey ten Boom, who was in prison in World War II by the Nazis. And after the, the war, she met, actually, a guard who had 
had been one of the guards in the concentration camp where she was found. And it was a little bit of a struggle, but she eventually found herself truly rejoicing that this man had come to Christ. So we are always interested in the cause of truth. We applaud the success of any and every noble and good thing. We have a great example of this in the Gospels. Think in John chapter 3, when the disciples of John the Baptist came to him and said, everybody is going to him, this man that you were speaking of, everyone is going to him. And John the Baptist said this, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase. I must decrease. We see something similar in the Apostle Paul, that he rejoiced with the truth when it was preached, even though it may cost him. He says in Philippians 1.15 that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, that they were doing so out of selfish, selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking that it would uh, afflict Paul in his imprisonment. And what is his response? He says, what then? He says, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. He was rejoicing in the truth. Now, what's interesting is Paul is saying something more here than rejoicing in the truth. He says rejoice with the truth. Love rejoices with the truth. There's a prefix here before the word that suggests that there is this element of of sympathizing, of coming alongside this other person. It's as if we are to participate with them in their joy to feel that common joy with them. It's the, the picture being drawn here is that their joy becomes our joy. And that's exactly what Scripture says, to rejoice with those who rejoice. And you see, this is exactly what love can do. Love is free. It's liberated to rejoice in the truth. It's a truth that comes and sets us free and delivers us from ourself. As we saw a few weeks ago, that, that love is indifferent to self, does not seek itself. It's more interested in the truth and its own agenda. And it's this kind of love, this divine love in our hearts that enables us to become disentangled from ourselves so that we can rejoice with the truth. Love is not afraid of the truth. Love is never against the truth. Love does not want to deny the truth. It wants to deny itself. Love aligns with the angels and with the king of heaven. And this sort of love comes from a heart that's been made new, a heart that is indwelled by the Spirit of God, a heart that is inflamed by the grace of God, a heart that is aligned with the truth of God and with the heart of God, with our Father in heaven. You see, there are two kinds of fathers. There are two fathers of mankind. There's the father of sinners, the devil, who rejoices in evil. And there are many like him who revel whenever evil prevails, who find some sort of sick joy, twisted joy in the tragic sorrows that others must endure. That is one father. But then there's the father of saved sinners, the Lord God who rejoices in the truth, the God who does not delight in people's suffering or their misery or their death or their wickedness. Remember what God says through the prophet Ezekiel 33.11. As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the, the death of the wicked, 
but that the wicked turn from his way and live. We think of Jesus and how he looks out upon Jerusalem. And as he reflects upon the blindness of their unbelief, and it breaks his heart, knowing good and well what awaits him in a few days there, it breaks his heart. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to you. How often I've longed to gather your children as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you would not. Our God does not delight in sinners who are lost in the way without peace or without joy. God rejoices when the truth flourishes in the heart of lost sinners, when his spirit brings life where it was not before, so that we might rejoice with him, that we might rejoice in the triumphs of his grace and his truth, that we would rejoice with the angels, that we would rejoice with our God in heaven. But for us to rejoice with God, God had to suffer with us. In order to save us, Christ had to sympathize with us. He had to come alongside us and participate with us in this world and in our nature. He had to become like us. He had to take upon himself flesh and blood in order that he might sympathize with us in our weakness. But it meant more than that. It meant that Christ had to participate in our struggle with sin. And so scripture tells us that he accepted the burden of our sin as his own burden. That he mourned with those who mourned. And so for those who were born under the law, he became as one born under the law. For those under the curse of the law, he became a curse for us in order to redeem us from that curse. For those suffering the misery of sin, he suffered the agony and the condemnation of sin so that he might win our salvation. For those that were condemned and cut off, he was condemned and cut off. And for those who were transgressors, Scripture tells us he was numbered among the transgressors. And we have to remember that all of this Christ suffered at the hands of those who rejoiced in wrongdoing. Only days before Calvary, the crowds lined the streets in order to sing the praises of Jesus. And now here they are insulting him with delight at the cross, witnessing an innocent man in the agonies of death. And Christ submits to this. He submits to this suffering from the hands of his enemies only days before. He was weeping over their blind unbelief. But here Christ does not wish any evil upon those who are rejoicing in the injustice that he is suffering. Even as he hears their malice, he does not curse them, but he says, Father, forgive them. All of this because Christ understands that he is suffering for the sake of truth, for the sake of righteousness, our righteous standing before God. And so Christ endures the cross for the joy set before him and the joy that he was winning for us and the joy that is promised to us. And this Savior who died condemned was raised, vindicated in victory, and he won for us eternal life, eternal blessing, and eternal joy. This is love. This is love that endured such wrongdoing for us in order to procure such blessings for us. This is love that mourned with those who mourned so that we would rejoice with him who rejoices in the truth. That Christ, as he enters into his joy, he does not do so alone, but he calls us to share in this joy. And he gathers us and brings us into this joy. I began this short talk by talking about a man on a stretcher. 
being wheeled out of the stadium to the cheers of those watching. There was a man who was brought on a stretcher to Jesus. And there were some there who could not even rejoice in the healing of that crippled man. All they could do was argue with Jesus. But our Savior does not rejoice in evil. And he did not rejoice in the suffering of that man. He had pity upon him. And he rejoiced in the truth of God's power and his grace. And greatly desired to share it with this man. To draw him into this this love. And Christ has shown us this love. He has shown us what love does. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. And Christ did for us what only love can endure and what only love could accomplish. He suffered for us. He suffered with us. So that we might rejoice with him and for all eternity. The good work, this true work, this righteous work that he began in us, he will carry on to completion until he brings us into heaven to share in his eternal joy. This is the truth. And you should not only believe in it, you should rejoice in it. Christ does, and you should too. Let us pray. A gracious God and Father, continue to help us to learn what love is and what love requires. And to do so out of love for him who knew exactly what love would require of him and yet pursued it to its very end, that he might win for us every spiritual blessing that can be had from this God of love. We thank you for these things. We rejoice in them. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Good to see you. Go in peace. Copyright 2020, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.